We are in our citywide sermon series. So like Zewe said, we are not just a church in Highfield. We have congregations all over the city of Tuane. So we have here in Highfield Centurion, then Elaris Park, Linwood, um, Willows there by the Grove, then our Momolori Church, um, the Moot Church. Moot is groot. If you can do this, um, yeah, then you'll fit in at the Moot Church with Heine and the team. And then our newest church launch is in Moikloof. Um, so every year we have a citywide sermon series where all of our churches across the city are preaching the same message. And this is basically just to keep us aligned as well, that we are not individual churches and we've got our own vision and plans. Obviously, there's stuff that we're trusting God for for this city, but um, we are joined together and we are hashtag better together. And this year, we are focusing on our core values. Now, who know what our core values are? Don't go to that slide, Quibus. No, Bianca. Yes? <laughs> so close. So close. <laughs> um, okay, um, where's the chocolate? Someone can bring me a chocolate. Um, then, because she had four out of five, does that deserve something? Okay, so um, Bianca's going to bring me a chocolate that I'll give to you. Um, so we are preaching on our core values, and I'm just having to, you can give it here. So basically, how it works is, um, because you got four out of five, um, yeah, so... Okay, it's my chocolate also. <laughs> There's your real chocolate. Um, yeah, don't eat chocolate while preaching. Um, so, core values. Now, maybe if you work in a, in a company, you've heard the term values. Maybe, like Marina's preached that first week, you do in your family setup have a set of values, like these are the things that define us as a family. Maybe the word values isn't something that is as, for, um, as familiar to you, but every single person has core values. And your life is just an expression of your values. So if I were to spend time with you, I would know what is valuable to you. The way you spend your physical time, your resources, your money, the way you treat people, the way you treat your brothers, your sisters, your mother, your father, the way you treat those who are on the street, that reveals something about you, and as I would spend time with you, I would know what you value. It's not something you can hide. Um, it's not something that we can pretend to be something else. What you believe, what you value, ultimately is expressed in your life. Now, for us as a church, not just in Tuane, but globally as well, we hold two core values, and in a sense, this defines who we are, what we're called to do, and um, we've preached now on the value of evangelism and in discipleship last week, where Kate hit it out the park. Um, but we do actually have an order, and now you can go to the slide, Quibus. Um, so the, the first value is lordship. Now, the reason why we did it the other way around a little bit in this series is because we had church planters from Mozambique in South Africa. Um, so we utilized them during the time that they were here and getting them to share on the heart of evangelism. But when we think about our core values as a church, um, we value Christ. That's lordship. 
we put Christ at the center. So in everything that we do, our decision-making filters through this value that Christ is central, um, that Christ is Lord, and we'll speak on that tonight. But then if Jesus is Lord, if Jesus is the Savior of the world, if there is no other name by which people can be saved but the name of Jesus, then it follows that we value evangelism. We value people enough to give them the solution to eternity. If we were to withhold that from people, then we don't really value Christ. But because we value Christ, we value the gospel that needs to go to all people. We value discipleship. We value maturity, growth in Christ. We have a baby boy, as you guys know. Um, he's resting. Riet and him were in a breakaway this week. And she took him away. From, she went and she took my child. Uh, yeah, but she didn't take the passport, so I knew that she'll come back. Um, but they are a bit tired tonight. Um, but he has nappies, and they have to be changed, and he's not eating solid food yet, so it's still okay for me to change the nappy. I can still volunteer. There are, there's a season coming <laughs> where many of you who said, hey, I'll come babysit, you can change nappies. Um, and even now, at the age of three months, it's cute to change a nappy because he's making noises, and every now and then you have to dodge something. Um, but it's still cute. We can laugh about it. But if he's five years old and I still have to change nappies, then something's wrong. So we value maturity and growth in Christ. Then we value leadership. We value the calling and the gifting that God has placed on your life, and that needs to be unlocked. Um, and then we value family, both spiritual and natural. So all of this happens in the context of family. And these values define us. If you are new to every nation and maybe you're still checking church out, these values also give you a little bit of a grid as to who we are and what you can expect from us. And in a way, it should create a sense of safety for you. This is what this church will be about. They will value Christ. They will value those who do not know Jesus. They will value my growth and my maturity in my relationship with God. They will value the call of God over my life. And they value family. And you get to keep us to it as well, as members and leaders. But if, if, if this is your church, I do hope that as you um, are discipled into this family and as you journey with us, as you serve with us, that these values are not just every nation's values, but they become part of yours. I joined Every Nation in 2010 as a student, and I cannot imagine my life apart from those values. I cannot imagine my life not having those five values in there somewhere. I have other values as well, like coffee and um, we braai and all of that. Um, but these are core values that are not just every nation's values. That if I were to go to a different city, a different nation, a different church, I would still want to value Christ as central. And then the rest flows. So, um, but tonight we're going to speak about the, the value of lordship and I'm going to make it personal, not as to us as a church, but to you as an individual. So I want you to open your heart for you personally tonight. And then the beauty of it is, as you and I individually embrace the value of lordship, when we come together, we express the value of lordship. You see, a church building can have the values painted on the wall, and lordship can stand there on the wall, but if the members... The, the, the living organisms inside of the building do not embody the value, then the church doesn't have the value. Then it's just something nice on the wall. It's decorative. But as we receive it and we embody it, and when we come together collectively, we express it. Let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, we want to honor you tonight as Lord. We want to honor you as the King of Kings. And we really want to come and shout, Hosanna, you are the Savior. Um, you are deserving of all of the praise, all of the glory, Lord. And as we were praying in the pre-service prayer with Jan as well, Lord, that we can, for the rest of tonight, just say, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. And it will still not be sufficient to give you the glory that you deserve. You are deserving of all the glory. And I ask, Holy Spirit, would you come and manifest and reveal Christ to us in a greater way tonight? I ask for that, Lord, a greater revelation of who Jesus is. May that capture our hearts tonight. Amen. Amen. So, Lordship. Uh, let me just get into this thing. So 1 Peter 3 verse 15, uh, you don't have to page there, it's on the board. In your hearts set apart Christ as Lord, or value Christ as Lord, treasure Christ as Lord, revere or sanctify, make holy Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give a, an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So he speaks about treasuring and setting apart Christ as Lord. To say, make this separate to everything else in your life. That there's a special place where you place Christ and He is Lord. He is master. He is owner over your life, over your heart. But then he gives a little bit of a promise. He says, set apart Christ as Lord and then always be ready to give a reason for those who ask you for the hope that you have. That's beautiful. So it means, and I'll pick on Ghepia tonight, that Ghepia is living in such a way that other people look at his life, his circumstances doesn't, isn't different, he isn't excluded from what's happening around us, but they look at his life and they say, there's something on your life that is different, why do you get to have hope? Why is there joy established in your life? What is different about you? And then Ghepia gets to respond, well, let me tell you about the one whom I have set apart as Lord. Because the Lordship of Jesus produces hope. The Lordship of Jesus produces hope. And there's many things in society today that wants to take away your hope. There's many things that wants to cause you to be feel hopeless. But when Jesus is set apart in your life as Lord, it produces something in you that is hope. And it's attractive to those around you. Sometimes you get those people that you don't really want to spend time with them because they drain your energy. No one knows people like that, right? Uh, but they always have something to complain about. There's always something to complain about. So the question for you tonight is, how's your hope? How's your hope tonight? That if people were to look at your life, would they say that your life is attractive, that there's something different about you, even though your circumstances might not be favorable, that something about you is attractive and I'm drawn to you and you get to give them the reason for the hope that you have. Let me tell you about the one who has captured my heart, who is Jesus, Lordship. Now the passage we're going to expand on tonight is Acts 2. And this is the first response to the message of lordship. So in Acts 2, Peter preaches the first sermon, um, and the first church is birthed, but he, he gives this exposition of who Christ is and what Jesus had gone through, um, how the Old Testament, the prophets also foretold that Jesus would suffer, etc., etc. And then from verse 36, and this is where we'll pick it up, 
It starts off to say, therefore, so all of the things that is mentioned now previously, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, for the forgiveness of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse or crooked generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine or their teaching and fellowship. In the, see, that's where the fellowship value comes in, right? Fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. It's a powerful portion of scripture and you'll do well to go and meditate on it during the week as well. But this was now the first message that Peter preaches from where the first church is birthed. Whom of you have ever started a church? 3,000 people got saved. That's a lot. Okay, this, they won't fit in this venue. 3,000 people got saved when they responded to the message of lordship. Know this, Israel, that this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. And they said, well, if that is true, then what do we do now? Or repent and be baptized. So from this, I want to draw three things and then conclude the first thing is that God has made Jesus Lord. You see, friends, there's a place where you and I need to receive Jesus as Lord into our lives. But whether you believe in Jesus or not, whether you respond to Him or not, whether you receive Him or not, He remains Lord. Because God has set Him in place. God has made Jesus Lord and Savior. That God has ascribed to Jesus a position that cannot be challenged. He is the name above all names. He is the king above all kings. There is nothing that is above him. Everything is subject to him. Even the devil himself is subject to the lordship of Christ. He cannot do anything that is not permitted by the lordship of Jesus. He's, there's no arm wrestle in heaven and Jesus manages to just maybe, maybe outwin. He is Lord of all. The Bible says that every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. Some will happen on this side of eternity when people respond to the Lordship of Jesus and they receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. Others will happen at the day of judgment where they will come face to face with the Lord of all and you will bow your knee, either willingly or unwillingly, but you will confess the Lordship of Jesus Christ because God has made him Lord, nothing we feel, nothing we say, nothing we do changes the fact, the truth that Christ is above all. Secondly, the Lordship of Jesus reorders or repatterns your life. 
if we go into a portion of Scripture there, I want you to, to listen and hear how the Lordship of Jesus has repatterned their life. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. You see, when the message of lordship comes in and you understand what the lordship of Jesus has accomplished, that God has made him both Lord and Christ. Oh, so it's through this Lord and Savior that there is a price for my sins that has been paid, but not by myself. That it's through this Christ, this Lord, that there is now a possibility for me to be forgiven of my sins, for the guilt and the shame that hangs over me to be lifted. He says to them, um, O house of Israel, know this assuredly, that this Jesus whom who crucified? Who you crucified. Now they weren't the ones who were putting the nails into Jesus' feet and into his hands, but it was their sin that nailed him to the cross. Our church is the same for you and me. It is the sin of the world, ours, yours and mine included, that put Jesus on the cross. So the message is, hey, church, this Jesus whom we crucified, God has made him both Lord and Savior. But in there, there is the forgiveness of sin. And then people hear of this message of lordship, of this king who gave his life in order for us to receive life. They received it with gladness. And they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. When we speak about the baptism to die, to, um, when you go down into the water, you identify with the death of Jesus, but you also get to identify with the finished payment for your sin. It is done. There is no further payment needed. So we go down into the water to identify with His death, but also what His death accomplished. We come out, out of the water and we identify with His resurrection power where there is victory over sin and death, you do not need to live a life that is bound by sin and death any longer because the same power that rose him from the grave now is alive in us. That is a statement to be glorified and praised. Hallelujah. So they received him with gladness. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in the teachings, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. That is a repatterning of your life, where you've encountered the Lordship of Jesus, and all of a sudden the things that you have held valuable and and, and treasures to your heart, you are now willing to sell so that there's no need or lack among the community. They had all things in common. And if you've ever played um, telefunky, telephone, I don't know what he called in English. What do you call it in English? But let's say we start here with Adele, and I tell Adele something, and then she passes it on, go around, 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 and it ends here with Valdu. The expectation is that Valdu will say something quite different. Um, because, but there's an original, and then there's a distortion throughout the, 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 well, the game that is played. When we look at the church of Jesus, this is the original. This is the, the first time that people are responding to the message preached about the Lordship of Christ. The church is birthed, and a reordering of your life takes place where Christ has now become central. And because He has now been put in His rightful position, everything else is defined through the Lordship of Jesus Christ. 
I have things that I don't need. I can sell it because there are people who have need. That was the repatterning. That was the extent of the repatterning. Currently, we often find ourselves saying, I need to just make sure that I'm okay, and when I have enough, I'll be able to look over my safety wall to see who else needs something from what I have left over. That's not the original pattern. The original pattern is that they have had everything in common. No one counted their possessions as their own if you go into Acts 4. That is a scary statement. But they understood lordship. They understood that Christ being most valuable reorders everything else in my life. So the lordship of Jesus repatterns our lives. And then number three, that the extent to which Jesus is Lord in our lives will be tested. The extent to which Jesus is Lord in your life will be tested. You see, it's easy to make hypothetical promises to God. Lord Jesus, I will go into the nations for your name's sake until you actually have to go and do it. We had a good conversation, some of the guys, a couple of weeks back about um, uh, being persecuted for your faith. Um, whom of you would think, would like to think that if you were to be persecuted for your faith, that you would not recant, you would not denounce Jesus? I would hope you raise your hand, okay? <laughs> you, won't, you don't know, you haven't been there. I really hope so, but I've never been challenged in that way. The extent to what you and I um, believe or hold Jesus to be Lord will be tested. If you go to that slide, um, Kubus, with the, the podium, all right? So in your life, you have a value system currently. And Christ is featuring somewhere in your life. Now, if he is not first, where is he? Not second or third, because he doesn't settle. He doesn't share the position. He doesn't share his lordship. Because the thing with values is whatever is first will define everything else in your life. Now, the, the, the tr tricky part is it's easy when you have sin, like obvious sin, as um, an elevated value in your life. Let's say it's something like pornography. Well, you should know that the intent of pornography over your life is to really bring destruction. That there's a space, and maybe there is sin in your life that you are really struggling to let go of. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit will show to you the intention of sin for you. Sin has only one desire, and that is to bring about death. That is what the Bible teaches us. When sin is fully grown, the, the, the fruit of it is death. Sin has no other agenda. Now, you would be foolish to hold on to something that wants to kill you. And if we do, we ask the Holy Spirit to bring a revelation of what sin's intent is for me. The challenge is when we hold on to things that are not necessarily wrong and we give them a higher position than they should have. Some of you are married. Okay? Who's, who's like the youngest married couple here now? Yeah, you guys got, when did you get married? A month ago. Come on, so fresh. Everybody say, ah. Imagine Hichud did not value Analda. We would, we would really question his character as a man. But if he values Analda more than he values Christ, 
then it will bring about an idolatry into their marriage. Because not all, and this is, I'll say this with respect, not all of Arnalda's intentions and desires are godly. Because we are still human beings who need to be sanctified. Not everything I want is godly. Not everything I desire as Yaku is godly. Therefore, God sometimes needs to say, no, Yaku. <laughs> not everything my wife wants, not everything that my wife desires is godly. And if I give her the first position, then I will filter everything else through that. Our child is not the highest priority. But God will not share that first position. If he's not number one, he's not there at all. There's a statement where they say, if Christ is not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. Jesus desires to be first in your life. Because if he is first, he will rightfully define everything else in your life. He will define what your role as a husband is, and your wife will thank you. He will define what your role in your family is towards your children. He will define what your role in your business is. But that's where it gets challenged, where um, we, we get tempted with things and we exchange Jesus for something else. And it's not that Jesus then becomes unimportant to you. I'll say that maybe with confidence, that whenever you and I are tempted and we fall into sin, it's not that you stand here and say, oh, you know what, I actually decided I don't love Jesus at all anymore. No, most often you wake up the next morning with a guilt and a shame and a remorse in your heart, and then you have to repent and come back to God and He restores you. But even if you are tired of that back and forth, falling over the same stumbling block, say, Jesus, I thought I've loved you enough. But still I keep on falling over the same thing over and over again. It's not that Jesus has become invaluable, invaluable, what's the word? Unvaluable, not valuable. <laughs> invaluable, thank you. Invaluable to you. It's just that in that space something else is more valuable. And that's where God wants to come and work in your heart. Because there is either a fear or a comfort or something attached to this thing that you are giving Jesus away for. The extent to what Jesus is Lord in your heart will be tested. And it needs to be tested. Those who are married will know that when you've gone through trials, when you've gone through suffering together, there's normally a greater bond at the other side. It unifies us. It makes us stronger. Your values need to be tested. They need to be purified so that they can be established. And when they are established, they will be firm. And then when you are challenged, you will not walk away from what is valuable. You will not exchange Jesus for something else. In the Bible, we read about the 12 disciples that Jesus, that Jesus called. And then there's the one that fell away, that sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Now they speculate, but let's say at a maximum it was about $3,000, which is now 60,000 rand, more or less, which is a lot of money. But some of you here make more than that in a month. The value, the 30 pieces of silver was significant because in the Old Testament, if Valdu was my slave, are you Valdu in English as well or is it Waldu? Waldo. So if, if Waldo was my slave um, and he was working on Gepi's farm and Gepi's ox trampled over Waldo, then as a compensation, Gepi would give me 30 pieces of silver for my dead slave. Judas sold off Jesus as a slave. That was the worth he ascribed to Christ. Friends, 
I've sold off Jesus for less. I've sold off Jesus for a night out. I've sold out Jesus for um, a lie here just to cover up my pride or um, to make myself look better. I've sold Jesus for less. Where's your out with Jesus? Where do you say, Jesus, if you do not come through in this area, if you do not answer this prayer, if you do not bring about this breakthrough, then I don't know if I'm still in. And that's where God wants to come and work and be established as first, that He is Lord of our hearts. But His Lordship in our lives will be tested. And it's not so much that Jesus wants to come alongside the values of your life. He wants Some of them He needs to displace. Some of the things that's currently on that pedestal in your heart needs to be taken off. And it's not that Jesus even wants to rework or refine them. No, some of them needs to be displaced. That there's a displacement of value, that first position, because then everything else in your life will be ordered accordingly. So how do you know if Jesus is truly Lord over your life? There's this very scary scripture in Matthew 6 or 7 where Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you do not do the things that I say? And they'll say, But Lord, we've done this and this in your name. And Jesus says to them, Depart from me. You practice lawlessness. And he says, I do not know you. How do you know if Jesus is truly Lord over your life? 1 Peter 3.15 but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Hope. A person whose life is under lordship will be marked by hope. Now, I'm not saying that there's a perfection and you never stumble. Remember, who else also betrayed Jesus before the cross? Peter. But Peter said, Jesus, I will never betray you. Again, it's easy to hypothetically make promises to God. Jesus, I will never betray you. No, Peter, you will. Before the night is finished three times, you will betray me. But then after Jesus' um, resurrection and he, re um, he revealed himself to the disciples and to many other witnesses, what did Jesus do to Peter? He restored him how many times? Three times. When we return to Christ, I... I'm pretty, I'm pretty convinced that if Judas did not go into the field and hang himself but returned to Christ, Jesus would have restored him because he restored the man next to him on the cross. When we return to Christ, he will restore you, but you need to be willing to allow him to displace certain values in your life, to make him first. So Jesus, I want you to be the true king of my heart. Because from there, everything else will fall into order in your life. Those of you who are in connect groups will know that we speak about lordship in chapter 3. And lordship demands obedience. Jesus cannot be lord over your life if you are not obeying him. Jesus cannot be lord over your life if you do not hold his word as ultimate authority. This word is not suggestions to your life. This is the Word of God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is Christ. So Lordship means I embrace this Word as my truth, even where I don't agree with it. No, this is above me. And then, because Jesus is Lord, I respond to Him by obeying Him. 
But lordship, lordship can be maybe in your mind just this space that Jesus is Lord and I must obey Him. God is inviting you into a relationship with Him. Acts 2, Peter says, God has made this Jesus both Lord and Christ. You see, it's in the Lordship of Christ that the fullness of Christ also dwells. God doesn't want you to receive aspects of Him. He doesn't want you to receive His instructions and not Him. No, He wants you to receive all of Him. He wants all of you so that you can receive all of Him. What is all of Christ? He is the Savior. He is the one who takes away the sins of the world. He is the one who lifts your shame and your guilt. That's found in His Lordship. He is the one by whom, whose blood we are cleansed and He gives you a clear conscience so that the accuser, the devil, doesn't continually remind you of where you have failed and what you have done wrong because the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all unrighteousness. He's Lord. It's by His stripes that there is healing over your body, physically, mentally, spiritually. How do you receive the healing of Jesus? By receiving Him as Lord. He, in John 15, He says, I am the vine. If you connect yourself to me, you will have a source to life that cannot be taken away from me. I am the Prince of Peace. I am peace, Jesus says. Receive me as Lord and receive me as peace. I am joy. I am the fullness of joy. And receiving Christ as Lord is receiving all of Him. Friends, it is the greatest invitation to a life that has been delivered from sin and set up for the fullest life you can ever imagine to live. But it's found in His Lordship that you give yourself to Him completely. I want to end with this, and the band can come up if it's possible. Alex, are you going to sing a song for us? Sing a song. Philippians 3 verse 7, Paul says, I once thought these things were valuable. You have things in your life that you currently hold as valuable, and you know what they are. You know what the things are that you sell Jesus out for. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with Him. He says, there are things in my life that I deemed valuable before, but now, in the knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I deem them worthless. So let's say there's two boxes on, on the stage. In the one box we have Jesus. And then he says, compared to Jesus, I deem what? Everything else as worthless. So in this box we have everything else. What is everything else? It's everything else. From your sin, maybe it's pornography, maybe it's alcohol. When it comes to the Lordship of Christ and maybe... This is a message for another night. When Christ is Lord over your life, He defines every single thing about you. You cannot have a, a comfortable or a, what's the word that I'm looking for? 
a casual relationship with alcohol while Jesus is Lord over your life. I'm not saying that you're not allowed to drink alcohol. I'm saying you can't have a casual relationship with alcohol when Jesus is Lord. You can't have a foul mouth when Jesus is Lord. The Lordship of Christ penetrates every single area of your life and it brings definition to it. And some of those places, the Holy Spirit will start working in your heart and you need to return to Jesus. The good news is when you return to Him, you return to the fullness of who Jesus is and He restores you. I once shared with someone and they opened up about an area where they felt they disobeyed God and it weighed quite heavy on on the person. And I said to the person, um, repent, but then receive the fullness of repentance. So yes, turn away, acknowledge, repent to God, but then receive the fruit of repentance where God says, I restore you. Then don't stay there. Don't stay in this place where you feel guilty and ashamed when you have repented and God says, no, I've restored you because He is Lord. He is Lord over sin. He is Lord over death. He is Lord over the enemy's accusations over your life. When you surrender to Jesus as Lord, He is the one who wins the victory on your behalf. You don't have to go back and fight the devil. Jesus already did that. We just surrender to Him as Lord. So in this box is everything else, including even your family. Now what what Paul is saying is not saying that your family is worthless. But he is saying that in comparison to knowing Christ, it is worthless. Now we are in a privileged position where you might not have to um, denounce your family in order to take hold of Christ. But if you are in a very strict Muslim nation, that is the reality. I once picked up a guy on the street who became a Christian from a Muslim background and he was ostracized from his community. His wife left him, his children disowned him. For him, that was a very much a real thing. That the value, the treasure of knowing Christ surpasses everything else. And if I have to forsake everything else for the joy of knowing Jesus, It's worth it. And that's going to be challenged in our lives, church. And it's okay. It's good that it's challenged. Because as it is challenged, it is purified. And as it is purified, it is established. And as it is established, it is made permanent in your life. And where Jesus is Lord, He produces hope. Oh, that's glorious. You get to have hope when there is no reason around you to have hope. You get to have joy. You get to have vision for your future because Christ reigns forever and ever and ever. There's never a time where Jesus isn't Lord. There's never a time where Jesus isn't Lord. Maybe you just got test results back and you failed an exam and you have to redo a whole year next year. Jesus is still Lord. Maybe you've received really bad family news. Jesus is still Lord. Maybe you didn't get that job that you applied for. Jesus is still Lord. Can we trust Him? Can we trust Him? And some of those things in your life need to be shifted. Some of those things need to come off of the first place. Some of the things need to get out of this box where Jesus is supposed to be and go into the everything else box. Can we trust Him?
we're going to respond with this song, King of My Heart, again. And you're welcome to stand. You're welcome to sit. But I want you to, to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, is this true in my life tonight? Is Jesus truly the King of my heart? See, God isn't interested in hypotheticals. He wants your life. He wants your life, church. If someone has preached to you a gospel message that hasn't told you that Jesus wants your life, I'm sorry, but they've lied to you. Jesus wants your life. But then in return, He promises you and gives you eternal life. More than you can ever think, imagine, dream, or hope for. So let's respond. Just let the Holy Spirit work in our hearts.